Good morning, everyone. How we doing? Good, good. So John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for a chance to have your, your word, a light, illuminate our path and our steps. Do ask that you would help open our eyes right now and that we would be able to dig into your word and learn and grow and understand. God, thank you. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, first of all, how cool is it that I get to preach from a pirate ship today, huh? <laughs> this is awesome. Like, I, I, was, I was telling the last service, I'd love to be behind this wheel teaching from back here. Like, that, that'd be a commanding position. But, you know, we're going to do what the sages of our generation say, and we're going to let Jesus take the wheel. I'm going to go ahead and step, step over here. <laughs> so, my name is Nick. I'm the junior high pastor here, and it is my great privilege to be able to speak to you guys today. Miles asked me to come in and speak on the second I am statement of Jesus, which is, I am the light of the world. And when he, when he asked me to teach on this, the first thing that I started thinking of, I started going through, okay, so light. What is light? The, the properties, the, the physical properties, the spiritual properties, and, and just kind of started mulling through this stuff. And I've, I've been doing so for the last couple of weeks, but as I thought about light, something that I learned in a auto shop class in high school popped into my mind. And... It may seem like a weird thing, but in that class, he, he shared a physics principle with us that has stuck with me. Well, I'm, I'm 30 now, so for that long. So I, I, I've, I've had that principle stuck in my head, and as I, as I kind of mold over that, that physics principle and, and what light is, um, to give you an idea of what he was talking about, he was explaining to us how engines worked. And I am not a mechanic. I don't pretend to be a mechanic. So if you are a mechanic, please forgive my very basic explanation of this. But he said that as you're trying to maintain engine temperature, you don't pump in cold. You're taking away heat. You're, you're keeping the heat at a regular temperature by running the antifreeze through it. And then that antifreeze grabs the heat, pulls it back out. It then cools off in the radiator and runs a circle round and round. And then he made the statement, there is no such thing as cold, just the absence of heat. And all of us in there kind of went, what do you mean by that? There, there's no such thing as cold. I mean, I've, I've been outside on a winter morning, and I mean, California, it's not that cold, but still, it gets pretty cold. You know, it, it, that's, that's cold. That's called cold. And, and so we, we argued about this, but as I was thinking about this further and... and I just I realized I needed to understand it a little bit better. So I did what all great scholars do, and I went and Googled it. <laughs> That's where we all learn everything we need to know. So men and women that are wiser than I uh, had great explanations for uh, the, the physics principle behind this. One of them said, heat is a form of energy that vibrates molecules and raises the substance's temperature. Cold is a relative term to indicate that one object has a lower thermal energy, energy than another. Snow is much hotter than liquid nitrogen. Both still have thermal energy relative to absolute zero. Neither are absent of heat. So the hotter a substance, the more thermal energy it carries. A cooler substance carries less thermal energy. And right about now, you might be thinking, cool. (laughs) 
So I came here to church, and now we're talking about auto shop class and physics, and what on earth are we talking about? Well, somebody gave a, a little bit of a simpler explanation, but it shines a little bit more light on what we're talking about here. They said, heat is a measurable thing, energy. Cold is the absence of that measurable thing. Dry is the absence of water or liquid, and dark is the absence of light for the same reason. A room is empty because there are no people in it. A room is not full because of the absence of emptiness. And through scripture, we see the Lord compare himself and and his word with light and wickedness and evil with darkness. And just a few examples, because I don't need you just to take my word on it. Out of uh, 1 John 1, 9, I'm actually, I'm going to be like firing through a couple of verses here. So you can listen if you want. I can give you the verses afterwards if you need them. But 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 9, it says, The one who says he is in the light, but hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This does not paint a very good picture for somebody walking in darkness. It's, it's a picture of hatred and blindness, not something that you want to dwell in, not, something, not somewhere where you want to live. And just before that, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet <clears throat> we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So this, painting a picture that God is not just in the light, his, not, his word doesn't just show light, but he is light. God is himself light. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 says, The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus referring back to a a verse out of Isaiah chapter nine reveals that there were people that were in darkness that could see the light at a distance. And then from that point on, he preaches his first message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he calls people to repent, to leave the darkness that they're currently dwelling in and move towards darkness the light. So moving back to the point, uh, uh, that whole physics point, darkness is the absence of light. And and put the other way around, the absence of light is what then causes darkness. There are a number of statistics that reveal to us great strides that humanity is making in improving uh, the fight against starvation, the fight against human trafficking, the fight against uh, everyone uh, drinking, like clean drinking water for, for more and more people each year. And across the globe, we're seeing these strides made. And all of these things are great things. However, if you were to turn your TV on tonight, or if you have a news app and you were to start flipping through some of the stories, you're bombarded with tragedy and pain and, and challenge. We see murder and lying and, and, uh, and thieving and sexual deviancy. And all of this would, would cause us to question, are we really making the headway 
that we need to make. So this brings us to point number one. The world needs light because it's in darkness. So we've presented our problem. The world needs light because it's in darkness. So then we need to ask the question, what is the answer to this problem? And this brings us back to a, uh, the chapter that Miles was speaking on last week, John chapter 1. And if you want to go ahead and flip over there, we're going to camp there for a little while. So John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus here is called the word. And it says, through that word, all things were created through him. And there are, and we could spend weeks on, on that one verse alone, but we need to move past that part into the next section. It's, not only did he create the physical things, but then he gave the living things life. Because Jesus doesn't just have life in him like we have a life in us. He is life. And as I studied through this portion of the text, you know, kind of reading through that, that he has life and that life is light of men, I, I started kind of getting the cold sweats in my office, like, how do I explain this? I, even if you just start to, there's spiritual principles that you kind of start to grasp and you kind of go, okay, I think I got it. But now I have to go up in front of a few hundred people and explain it to them so that they can understand it. And it's like, you're, you're in the office going like, oh, how do I do this? David Gusick is one of my go-to guys, I, I, I love his, his Bible commentaries, and he did, he did a great job of explaining very simply this challenging principle. He says, the word, capital W, is the source of all life, not only biological life, but the very principle of life. The ancient Greek word translated life is zoe, and I'm sure I butchered that Greek, forgive me, which means the life principle, not bios, which is just mere biological life that power which creates life and maintains all else in existence was in the Logos, or the Word. So that life that was in Jesus, that life-giving and life-maintaining life that he carries, that, that characteristic, that attribute of Jesus, was the light of men. That life is the light of men. That is the light that shines in the darkness. That's the light that the darkness cannot overcome. And I recognize that some of your guys' Bibles, I, I'm going out, of, uh, going out of the version called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, many of you guys are reading the New King James, and it probably says that uh, the light could not comprehend it. Another way to translate that would be to overcome it. And I'd say for the purpose of this meeting, it makes a bit more sense to use the term overcome in this case. So Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness of sin and death here on this earth. As we see all the horrible things <clears throat> that take place around us, we know that we need light to fill the darkness because if light enters, darkness cannot overcome it. We need light present 
so that darkness cannot continue? The answer here is Jesus. He is the light of the world. We need Jesus in our lives. We need Jesus all around us. And this brings us to a very simple point number two, but it needs to be stated very clearly. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. So this brings us back to John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So if you don't want to walk in darkness and sin and death, you need to follow Jesus and allow him to fill your life with light and open your eyes. He says in another portion of John, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. We humans in this room and everywhere else, we don't contain the same life-creating and life-maintaining life, that zoe that Jesus had inherently in him, that, that attribute that he carried within him. We don't carry that inherently in ourselves. Without Jesus, we are born into sin, into darkness. And John chapter one, again, we're, we're camped out in John chapter one. It speaks a little bit further on this in verse six, where it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So in that regard, without Jesus, we are in the darkness because we don't carry that life within us naturally, inherently. We are, in a sense, the blind leading the blind. If, if Jesus is not in our lives, we are the blind leading the blind. We're groping around in darkness. We cannot figure out the way because we are in darkness, because we cannot see. This is a big reason why we see sin in our culture and, and around us being not just excused, but even revered. Because we go for what feels right. We go for what seems right. And sin in its time feels right. We know that the result is death. But when you're just feeling around and, and hoping you find the best, you're just... This again is why we see sin being excused and revered in our culture. So if we are in darkness, we cannot find our way. And those around us that are also in darkness, we're not gonna... If we're all in darkness, we're, we're, again, we're just the blind leading the blind. And this brings us to point number three, that Jesus is the only one who can break through the darkness. Jesus is the only one who can break through the darkness. And as you finish that point, go ahead and turn over to John chapter nine. This is kind of, we're gonna move over there. John chapter nine, verse one. John chapter 9, verse 1 says, As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. 
This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. So the disciples here jump straight to a conclusion when they see this man. They, they say, okay, was it, was it his parents or was it him that sinned? And there's a number of cultural and, and tradition, traditional reasons that, he might have, that they might have asked this. But what we have here is a man that is sitting blind who is already challenged enough in life and now he has people coming by going, so I wonder whose fault it was, him or his parents? That's a little rough. But then Jesus corrects or rejects their whole premise and says that this man's blindness will be used for the glory and the works of God. And continues by saying, I am the light of the world. And I just, I, I wonder how long this guy had been sitting here blind, being questioned about whose fault it was that he was blind and, and was, it, was it him or was it his parents? And, you know, he must have done something clearly. And then Jesus appears and says, no, his blindness isn't because of sin. It's because God is going to do a work through him and he's going to use him for him and his blindness for his glory. Jesus, the light of the world, shows up and breaks through that darkness and suddenly he can see. And we have here an incredible picture that when Jesus steps in, we are no longer blind, but the light shines through and breaks that darkness and it finally opens our eyes so that we can see. I will note that the, one, that the way that Jesus heals this man here is peculiar. It's weird. Spits on the ground and, and wipes that spit mud in his eyes. Um, and I, I read some different commentators that had some really interesting explanations and spiritual reasons why they might have done this. And I don't know if any of those are true. I think they're just kind of playing guesswork best they can. One thing I do know is that Jesus, a number of times, healed blind people. And he didn't use the same method over and over. Uh, he, he touched one man's eyes, and he was healed. He spat on another man's eyes, and, and, or a couple guys' eyes, and then touched their eyes, and then they were healed. He wiped spit mud on this guy's eyes, and he was healed. And then another, he didn't even touch him. He just, the guy came up, and he said, okay, you're healed, and he was healed. Over and over, we see Jesus healing blind men and women, but he never used the same method. And one thing that was clear to me here is that it is not about the method. It's about the man, Jesus. He used different methods because we can't now go up and, and spit on the dirt and, and pick up that dirt and start wiping on people's eyes and go, okay, this should work. I saw Jesus do this one time. I, I don't recommend that, in fact. I, I recommend you maybe start praying for them. But he did this a, a number of ways so we couldn't put this up in, in a spot of idolatry that it's spit mud that heals people. No, it's not. It's Jesus. And this point is going to be important for the next point on your, on your list. Point number four, you are the light of Jesus to the world. You are the light of Jesus to the world. 
It's important to us that it's not about the method, it's about the man. We are the light of that man, Jesus, to the world. Matthew chapter 5 says, you are, not, uh, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives, it, gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Once Jesus has opened your eyes from blindness, shined his light and healed you and set you free, he's then given you a responsibility. He opened your eyes, shined through, set you free. You have now been given this responsibility. When Jesus steps into your life, he sets you ablaze. By his spirit, he does a work in you. And your job is now to light up the world and light the darkness that's around you to continue spreading the light to those that are around you. We know when we open our apps, there's darkness all around us. We read it, we see it. Your job is to bring the light of Jesus to that darkness. It doesn't matter if you just got saved or if you've been saved for years, your job is still the same. Shine your light before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And we go back to our story in John chapter 9 where this man is now, I, I, I wrote in my notes that he is now the seeing man because he's no longer blind. So this seeing man now doesn't have Jesus near him. He goes back into his town and his neighbors start to realize, hey, that, I think that's the guy that was blind. That, was that the guy that was blind? And they start questioning back and forth. Is that the guy that was blind or no, was it? Is that just somebody that looks like him and it's just a guy that can see and, and who, who is that? So they question him. And he says, no, it, it's me. I'm the guy. I'm, I'm the one that was blind. And they question, then how are you able to see? Valid question. So he told them the story about Jesus, the mud, and, and him spreading it across his eyes. And he said, when I, when I washed my eyes, then I could see. When they asked, where, where is Jesus then? He goes, I, I, I don't know. And this is so indicative of, of when you have a new believer going out to share the gospel. And it, it's, it's a good thing because what we see here is he's bold and he steps out and he, he goes for it. But when they say, okay, so how did it happen? And what, what took place? And what exactly was it that changed? He goes, I, it, was, it was Jesus. And I don't know any answers beyond that. I just know that Jesus showed up, he wiped mud on my eyes, and now I can see. That's the story. That's all I got. And at this point, that's all he needs. Well, the Pharisees end up stepping in because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And they didn't like that. That was a big no-no. So they questioned the man, asking him what happened, and he told them the same story. Jesus stepped in, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed it off, and now I can see. So they called Jesus a sinful man. And they say Jesus is not from God because he healed on the Sabbath, but then they start infighting because how can you heal if you're not from God? And, and so there's, there's issue coming up even between them. So then the, the, the Pharisees question, okay, well, what do you think of this man? Who, who is he? And him in his you know, younger state, he says, uh, he's a prophet. I, a prophet, I, I think, as far as I know. Well, this really bothered the Jews. So they end up going and getting the guy's parents. And they say, okay, we have, we have some questions for you. We know that your son is blind. Is this your son? Was he actually blind 
And if so, then how is he, how is he able to see now? They say, yes, that's our son. Yes, he was blind. But as far as why he can see, we don't know. You need to ask him. He's a grown man. He's of age. Go talk to him. And the scriptures point out that at this point, the reason that the parents refused to answer was because there was now pressure from the Jews that if you said that Jesus was Messiah, was Messiah if you sided with Jesus, they were going to kick you out of the synagogue. It says the parents specifically refused to answer how this man was healed because of their fear of the Jews. So now we have in our story introduced a consequence that it's not just him going in and going, hey, Jesus healed me, I'm, I'm better, life is good. Now there's consequence for saying so. But does this stop the blind man? We actually pick up in, in verse 24 in chapter 9. It says, So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Uh, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's, where he's from. We have this simple yet profound answer from this now seeing man. I don't know the answers. I don't have all the solutions to your problems. What I do know is that once I was blind and now I see. That's it. That's what I know. But even in the face of adversity, he still stands up for what Jesus had done because of the profound work that it, it, that it did in him. That I, I, My whole life has changed. I was sitting as a beggar because I couldn't see and I couldn't do any work. But now I'm walking around and I'm arguing with, arguing with you guys because I have sight. It didn't detour him, the adversity that was going to face him, because he'd been so moved by what Jesus had done. Verse 30, it says, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if, everyone, if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And now all of a sudden we have this blind beggar who is now a seeing man lecturing scholars and, and his peers who are all blinded with pride. Jesus didn't just open his physical eyes. He began to open his eyes spiritually, to understand the spiritual works that were taking place. He makes great arguments to these spiritual leaders and, and peers. And of course, when they, hear, when they heard these great arguments, they all repented, right? They all, you know, oh, I need to see Jesus. Go, show me where he is so I can go worship him. Verse 34, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. So no, 
They didn't hear him. They remained in darkness. But Jesus hears about what happens. And he re-enters the story in, in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he, feared him, when, when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. So Jesus began by healing this man's physical blindness. And now he's stepping back in and he is opening his eyes spiritually to see the truth that's standing before him, the literal truth that is standing before him. The Pharisees, however, in this case, finished in a bad state. In the end of chapter 9, verse 39, uh, Jesus said, I have come into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If we were blind, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you would have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Jesus in your life is going to be a fork in the road. You will, you will hit this fork at some point and you have to make a decision. Do I follow him or do I go the other way? If you recognize your blindness, Jesus will heal you of that spiritual blindness. He'll pull you out of the darkness, bring you into his marvelous light, and you will be able to see because he will open your eyes. But if you continue with your false sense of vision and you're satisfied with that, you will remain blind. The Pharisees remain in the same state that they started and they continued in blindness because they were satisfied with that false sense of vision that they were given, that they had. And I would encourage you today, please don't be satisfied with blindness in your own life. If you don't know Jesus today, don't be satisfied with the blindness, with the darkness that you're living in. And if you do know Jesus, then I pray that you're not satisfied with the blindness of those around you, that the darkness, with the darkness that those that are around you are living in, that you would be moved to discomfort to spread that light that is within you. I pray that the Lord move you to compassion for those that are around you because it is, it's a miserable place when you're living in darkness compared with the goodness of the Lord. Would you guys say amen to that? Amen. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. So I've got a couple minutes and I have a couple like, I got like endpoint questions. What I like to do with the junior hires is we'll start, I'll ask them questions, then I'll break away and let them answer them and then we come back together and we discuss the questions together. So this is, it's not possible to do like small group stuff in here. I'd love to do like our junior high session in here, but um, it's a little logistically not very easy. But I have some, some quick points and questions that go along with them that I want to just kind of throw out to you guys and just give you a minute or so to answer them and, and just kind of 
work through that. You got, a, you got a little notes page on the back of your journal so you can, you can fill that out there. But first of all, if you don't know Jesus, can we change that today? <laughs> we have a prayer team. We have pastors. We have elders. You've got somebody next to you that knows what to do. If you don't know Jesus, let's change that today. Walk in his marvelous light. Step out of the darkness. He would love to have you as part of the family. I would love to have you as part of the family. If you do know Jesus, a simple start to being a light in the world is by growing in your walk. So question number one, what do you need to do to grow in your walk today? Is there an area that you're lacking? Is there something that you're just not engaging in? Are you not getting in your word as much? Are you not taking the time to pray? What is something that you need to do to grow in your walk today? Another part in being a light to the world is just stepping outside your door. Go meet your neighbors. Go meet your coworkers. Talk to your coworkers. Get to know them. Get to know the people at the stores that you regularly attend. And just actually genuinely be interested in them. Get to know the people around you. It's as simple as starting there. So the question that I have for you in that regard is, what are some ways that you can then use your gifts and your talents that the Lord has given you to meet the people around you? to actively go and do this, to be a light to neighbors, coworkers, store owners or workers. And then the next thing is just be willing to be led by the Spirit. Has the Spirit been leading you to do something that you've been too fearful or hesitant to do? So as you guys continue to kind of ponder these things, we're going to go into a time of worship and I just ask you to meditate on this stuff and worship the Lord together with us because we have much reason to worship. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the light that you've shown upon our lives. And we ask that you would help us now do something with this knowledge, Lord. I, th I thank you for so many in this church that do this day in and day out, Lord. We see them praying for those that, are, that they're around and and just in the prayer cards every week, Lord, we get to see people actively praying that they could reach those around them with the gospel. And, and Lord, I'm so thankful for that. And, and Lord, if there's others that just need to kind of make that move forward, I ask that you'd give them the boldness that you would encourage them today, Lord. And so, Father, as we worship you, would you just be stirring in our hearts right now?